The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome to this month's uh, introduction to the path factor of right livelihood. Um, And I guess um, I always feel like it's necessary to add the wise or skillful instead of the right word. Um, So I just wanted to give first a a translation for right livelihood because I thought it's a great way of explaining um, what it encompasses. So um, this is Pali, right? Sama Ajiva. Okay, Sama Ajiva. So um, it, it means more than what our occupation is or what we do for a living, although that seems to be the primary way it's kind of translated. But it also includes um, uh, how we live our life. So not just our job, our occupation, but um, um, what we buy, consume, use for housing, rely on financial support, and also how we care for our family or our loved ones um, on how we do our jobs. So to me, that encompasses quite a lot. And um, it's a little bit of a shift from right action, which is um, more like particular actions that we're doing, whereas right livelihood is more like a very broad, encompasses a broad uh, part of our lives. So a lot of the things that we're doing over and over and over again. And this seems to have a lot of impact on our patterns and our well-being. So uh, one of the ways that, um, I guess, these teachings um, kind of direct us towards looking at um, what we do and how we do it, um, how it uh, nourishes us or supports us on this path, how it can lead to more peace and ease and freedom. Um, Does it cause harm to self or others, or does it um, give us some more ease uh, and how we live our lives. So to me, it was a great it was great to reread this and re-listen to talks about it because it really did bring a lot to light for me, um, who's been teaching for the last three or four years. Um, realized teaching is probably a pretty good occupation to have <laughs> in these terms, especially Dharma teaching. But there were so many areas for me to look at in terms of how I teach. You know, sometimes it, it comes as a burden for me or it can feel heavy <laughs> to have to teach. And, you know, there's lots of areas for me to look at to even apply um, how I do this and what I bring to this. Am I really deeply present for this? Um, So rather than see it as a list of acceptable occupations and non-acceptable occupations, although there is that as well, it is more useful, I feel, to look at it as a way of um, um, seeing how we approach what we do and um, whether or not it supports us. So having said that, um, I'm going to, to Diane... Good afternoon. Can you hear me okay? Mm -hmm. 
So I'm going to start with a guided meditation just to help us all arrive and be settled. So all of us have these basic needs of food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. And there may be a really uh, distinct ways in which we can take care of them. And this is part of the definition of livelihood, the way that we're understanding it in um, these teachings here as part of the um, Eightfold Path. Before I talk about kind of the, a greater definition, I want to um, point out that actually, for me at least, this topic seems kind of mundane, right? Livelihood. It doesn't feel inspiring, but actually it's quite a tender topic. It's quite something that's personal. How many of us have looked for a job and not been able to find one that suits us well? Or how many of us have wanted to retire but weren't quite ready? Or how many of us have, um, are really identified with um, how we earn a living? And then when that shifts, we kind of struggle or something. So actually, livelihood or examining the ways in which we support ourselves or the occupations that we have during the day can be... a really a sensitive, tender topic. And I want to honor and respect that as we kind of um, look at it from different perspectives and evaluate it and see that actually right livelihood is um, in a very rich area to explore, but also a tender area to explore. So as Xinquan said, it, um, right livelihood can mean more than just a way to earn income, as I suggested in the reflection. So what enables us to uh, meet our basic needs, but it also can be an occupation. What, what are the patterns of our lives? What is our lifestyle? So are we um, somebody that um, spends a lot of time watching TV, for example, if our um, days allow that? Are we spending hours and hours on television or surfing the internet or something like this? Uh, the um, point, one of the points for right livelihood is to really pay attention to the patterns because that is one way in which simple actions can be amplified and have a really big effect is if we do them repeatedly. So it's worthwhile to look at what are our patterns that seem very simple, perhaps, but it's just through the repetition of them that they can have a big impact on our lives. Another way that our actions can be amplified is if we're not the only ones doing them. If, um, the classic example, um, or I should say, yeah, or I don't know if it's classic, A, it, an example is if we're the only one that drives a car that produces smog things, maybe it's not so bad if we're the only one. But all of us who drive cars are contributing to kind of to the smog, right? So it's this amplification of a simple activity is something to pay attention to. And so when we pay attention, there's two perspectives that we can use. So we're in the middle of the Eightfold Path. Right livelihood is the fifth factor. 
There's four that we've um, preceding ones that we've been through, and there's going to be three um, subsequent ones. The three subsequent ones are right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. I'm just going to kind of group that together and call it like meditation or spiritual practice. We'll go into the details of that in the ensuing months, but for the subsequent path factors, we can think of them as kind of meditation, spiritual practice. And then in the preceding path factors, we can think of that as um, ethics, morality, and our views that underlie our actions. So right livelihood is right in the middle. So we can look at this from the perspective of what are our activities that we do and how do they support our ethical life? How do they support our views? We can also look at it, what are the, are the activities that we do, our occupations? How do they support our spiritual life, our meditation? So maybe I'll give an example. So um, I can imagine that perhaps there's somebody who wants to um, do what's considered right livelihood. And um, there isn't, for me a little bit surprising, is there isn't a lot in the Buddhist teachings about right livelihood. And I I guess we can understand that if we consider that it has been traditionally a monastic tradition, so their livelihood was to be monks and nuns. But um, the obvious one is to not cause harm. And there are some specific, obvious way to not cause harm. Don't deal with weapons. Don't you know help enable people to kill each other. Don't um, interact with poisons. Again, help people kill each other. Don't interact or be involved with human trafficking, type of slavery or something like that. And there's probably another one, and maybe not. In- Thank you. So not with um, killing, things that um, promote killing, and things that uh, promote poisons or intoxicants. So that's kind of the guidelines that the Buddhist teachings have about what you shouldn't do. But if we look at it more broadly of um, these two perspectives of supporting our ethical life and supporting our spiritual life, we can imagine somebody that is a wants to um, grow produce, organic produce, and make it um, available to the community, so um, earn their livelihood by selling produce. So maybe this individual grows these beautiful zucchinis and tomatoes and corn and you know, all these great, wonderful things, but um, they end up, I'm not exactly sure how this would happen, but um, become the produce manager at a grocery store so because they are involved with this, they want to sell it or something. And that's a beautiful thing, that they are able to um, make food, good food, available to people. But, you know, grocery stores also sell um, liquor, which for many people is a poison. It's um, uh, alcohol can promote, you know, addiction or some problems in some families, right, and some individuals. So my point here is this is a, it's a good... Um, the intention was for a right livelihood, but I imagine that for all of us, there's a way that we can see there's what we immediately do, and then there's a little bigger circle of what the comp- our company does, and then there's maybe the bigger circle of what our company, um, how they interact with society or something like this. 
Because we also could say maybe the same person um, is growing produce but chooses to um, just sell produce at a farmer's market, right? And they are their own boss. They don't have to um, worry about doing anything else. But maybe the manner in which they do this, maybe they don't um, pay good wages to the individuals who are working for them to uh, pick the produce, or maybe they don't take the time to balance their scales, so they inadvertent. So they maybe it's not inadvertent; they are um, overcharging for the weight of uh, the produce or something. So there's um, there's the what we specifically do, and then there's the manner in which we do it, and we can look at both of those through the two perspectives of how does it affect our ethical life. And how does it affect our spiritual life? So looking at this, and that example that I gave, it wasn't really inspiring, right? It kind of felt like, oh my goodness, there's <laughs> actually lots of ways in which um, livelihood, even though our direct relationship to it may seem ethical and supportive, in the bigger picture may not be. So there's a number of ways we can work with this. Because I... Um, it may not be the most wise that we have to go out and immediately change our job or and change our profession or make um, tell our boss that things really must be this other way or you know so we don't have to be radical in making changes. Instead, we can work with what we have and things can change in a way that kind of grows with our spiritual practice. And again, the way in which we can work with um, our occupation is through um, this idea of ethical practices. Maybe we can set the intention, okay, when I'm um, at my job or if I'm doing whatever my occupation is, whether it's being a homemaker or being retired or I'm being a student or being on government assistance, being supported by a family member, right? There's a number of different ways we can do this. We can set the intention, for example, I'm really going to try to practice not gossiping in this situation so that I can use my occupation as a way to enhance my ethical life. I'm really going to try to only speak what is true and beneficial. I'm, on, I'm not going to take the paper clips from the office. That's kind of a mundane example, but we can set the intention. I'm going to use my occupation as a way, as an arena in which to practice my ethical life. In the same way, we could use our spiritual practices as a way to support us in our current livelihood. We can meditate regularly in a way that um, enhances our calmness and our clarity so that when we are doing our occupation and when we're at work, we can do it in a way that we can see clearly what is happening and in a way in which we're not um, increasing agitation or harm to ourselves and others. There is a um, a saying in the in one of the suttas that says that a hand that has no wounds can carry poison. So the idea here is that if we can do, for example, compassion practice, 
both for ourselves, that, oh, look, I, here's a way in my occupation in which I um, am not supporting my spiritual practice or my ethical life, and for us to have compassion for ourselves. And if we see that we are harming indirectly or perhaps even directly others with our occupation, our livelihood, we can do some compassion practice there in a way to kind of soften our hearts and be sensitive to any harm or suffering that we may be causing. In the same way, we can do loving-kindness practice for others, for our co-workers, for our family members, for whatever, whichever way that kind of supports our occupation. In this way, we can um, heal any wounds, quote-unquote, that we may have, that better ables, enables us to work with difficulties that we may have in our livelihood. And I know I've seen this happen in a number of people, myself included. The more that I um, practice kind of in this tradition, the more it was kind of a gradual shift with some abrupt changes and then gradual and abrupt, right? That things became more clear and that my uh, livelihood and my occupations became more aligned with my spiritual life. So I'm saying this because I want to honor that um, livelihood and occupation is a tender, sensitive topic. I'd like us to look at it kind of in a, with a number of different perspectives. We may find that it's not um, that there may be some harm that we're contributing to, and if we do, there's things that we can, rather than making giant changes, we can um, make soft, gentle changes to support our ethical life and our spiritual life, and then things will kind of shift. And then maybe we can get to a place where we are, can see that the, the shift has been such that before our spiritual practice was something that we kind of fit in the, around the edges of our occupation before we went to work or only did on those days when we weren't traveling for our jobs or whatever, whatever way there may be that our spiritual practices were fit in around the edges of our livelihood maybe there'll come a time when there's a switch in which our livelihood gets kind of put around the corners of our spiritual life. Kind of a different um, perspective on um, our lives, on what is important and how we organize our time and how we organize our resources. So I just kind of offer that as a way to um, consider right livelihood and and how it can be part of our spiritual practice and part of our um, spiritual path. So with that, I think now we'll break out and do a, um, a breakout session where we can talk more about this with each other. Okay, so um, let's break out into groups of three. And hopefully that works out. So just you know, look around and whatever's easier and see if you can give a little space in between the groups and then I'll give you the questions.
Um, there was something important that you wanted to do, <laughs> I think, for the breakout session. What was it about how we... Speaking... Okay, so we'll give um, a little bit of instruction on how these breakout groups work. Many of you have heard this, but I think it's uh, often worth repeating. So when we do these breakout groups in this um, setting, it's a little bit different than a conversation than we have. It's um, less, um, yeah, I'll say it's a little bit different than a conversation. So the speaker, when you're speaking, it's more for your benefit, for you to... Um, explore something. So if you know the punchline, if you know the end of the, the story, just you, need to, you can say that and regard what you're saying more as an offering rather than you have to inform somebody about all the details of an event. It's more um, for you to kind of explore and offer as opposed to tell a story. And then the listeners, you are more a witness to what the speakers are sharing or offering, as opposed to engaging in a discourse or a very specific conversation or giving advice or something like that. So it's um, a little bit different than a regular conversation and how this works. So, Xinquan, do you want to say the question? Okay. So here's the first question. And the way we can do this is um, one person can speak and say maybe a sentence or two, and then we can go to the second person and then the third person and then back around to the first person. Because I'm sure you have this experience. Once you hear what other, somebody else has said, that's kind of triggers something in what you've said. So the first one is, what values do you express in your occupation? What values are you expressing by how you spend your time or the means by which you support yourself. And we'll give you a second question after about like um, seven, six or seven minutes or so. So you'll hear the um, bell in just a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you. And now here's the second question is what consequences does your work have on the quality of your inner life? <laughs> Say thank you to your partners when we bow to them. And then now this is an opportunity to report back to the larger group. How was that? Both how was it to explore the issues and to um, share it in this type of setting? So we have um, maybe like five minutes and we'll... Um, uh, we'd love to hear how that was for you. I know it was really rich for us up here. So, I found it really um, interesting and eye-opening because we had such three different backgrounds. Um, one of us that is staying home and taking care of children one who's working full-time, and one who's retired. Yeah, um, The three different perspectives of somebody at home with children, somebody that's working full-time, and somebody that's retired. And the, all the questions 
it were so interesting to how they reflected and those um, all the questions. Just I can't explain it, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, so for us three, um, the theme of distraction, whether we knew we know that we're distracting ourselves or we don't know it, it's, it's pretty common. It's like when things just kind of gets crazy with work or whatnot, it's so much easier to distract myself with something mindless. <laughs> and that does seem to affect my practice in a not-so-positive way, I guess, yeah. So that's something I know I'm working on. So. Yes, that was uh, something that I didn't talk about, but often perhaps our um, livelihood, our occupation is nourishing and supportive, but um, doesn't leave time or somehow... It doesn't, I don't, maybe I don't, have, I'm not saying this in a good way, but there's lots of different ways in which it can impinge on our practice. Lots of different ways. I've been um, surprised, and I don't know why I should be, but each time we have these breakouts that I feel this um, really nice simpatico and affinity with the two other people in my group. And um, I guess the takeaway from that is just the very basic humanity. And that when we're in here, it, it, it doesn't matter what we do or where we come from, but there's a way of connecting that feels just really essential. And I really, it, it feels very rich. I always feel grateful after, you know, being in a group and people sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to say anything more? Um, I just wanted to add that it's lovely to get feedback in the larger groups so that we know what kind of is going on, at least or get a temperature. So one of the things that we wanted to caution for is when you explore these things, it's not a place uh, to uh, hopefully not uh, going to evoke anxiety and guilt. <laughs> And because <laughs> that can be such a pattern and easily done. But what I'm hearing is that, you know, we're just exploring and taking a look at it and recognizing some patterns that aren't so helpful um, and um, making shifts that are uh, doable and actually more supportive for our practice. So that's really just nice to um, get reassured. <laughs> Well, it just occurred to me that, um, you know, I look at practice as after I'm working. Ah. You know, the, while I'm working, I'm in this, like, frenetic state, and sometimes it's because I'm too busy, sometimes it's because I'm not busy enough. And that I, I just see here, out of listening to people and having our conversation, that, you know, I could bring mindfulness to my working instead of, like, this kind of, uh, there's just always this kind of a little bit of anxiety that I find, you know, like I should be doing something else or, or this is, I don't want to do this. You know, there's some, there's some conversation there, so it's helpful.
Okay, so um, we're going to have a short 10-minute break now. So great opportunity to practice right speech. <laughs> and metta if you don't. <laughs> and then we'll ring the bell and we'll come back here in 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs>